Good morning, my name is Alison and we're going to read the Bible now. Um, we're going to read from Song of Songs. If you have a church Bible, it's page 595, Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 6. If you need a Bible, if you stick up your hand, someone can pass you on. But we're reading from chapter 3, verse 6. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant prouder of the merchant? Look, Solomon's bed surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty men of Israel. All of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his sword at his side to guard against the terror of the night. King Solomon made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold and its seat of purple. Its interior is inlaid with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon wearing the crown his mother placed on him on the day of his wedding, the day of his heart's rejoicing. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Behind your veil, your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from the washing, each one bearing twins, and none has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely. Behind your veil, your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh on the hill of frankincense. You are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the Pekamania and the summit of Sinir and Hamon and the dens of the lions and the mountains of the leopards. You have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Your lips are dry, drip sweetness like honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden in a sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, and all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the best spices. You are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. Awaken, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden, eat its choicest fruits. I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with spices. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, friends. Drink. Be intoxicated with caresses. Good morning everyone, my name's Mark. Keep that passage open in front of you and you will find an outline in, your, in the middle of your handout which will hopefully help you follow along this morning. Uh, let me pray for us that we will understand God's word to us today. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise and thank you for the wonderful way you have created us, male and female, able to be united 
together with our words of promise and bonded together through sexual intimacy. We ask, Father, that by your spirit we might understand your word to us today so that we might live self-controlled and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Friends, I'd like to begin today by considering how our world has corrupted and twisted one of God's most greatest gifts to us. Uh, Actually, following on Andrew's sort of thinking uh, from a moment ago. Uh, My question is, how has our society's views on sex changed since the sexual revolution? Uh, in the 1960s. As Christians, we know that God has created men and women for sexual intimacy uh, and the Bible reminds us time and again uh, how uh, it's in a, a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman that we, that's the context for enjoying good sex. Uh, and we'll see that in our passage today. Uh, don't be embarrassed. That's what the passage is about. Uh, and that's a good thing that God has given us to talk about, to think about. Uh, yet how has our view of sex in society changed? Uh, of course, suggesting that the Christian worldview of sex is contained within marriage. That, that's a joke, right? Uh, that's how our society views sex. Uh, our world has corrupted and twisted such sexual intimacy for personal gain. Um, it, it has been trivialised, cheapened, to the point that sex is now just something that satisfies a physical need. Uh, James Bond, I think, is the classic example here. You know, he's got no commitment, uh, it's just he's got 10 minutes to spare, so <laughs> sex is what you do. Magazines, music, television programs often preview this view of sex. Uh, The tribe before you buy view of sex and relationships means that uh, you probably have uh, children or or brothers and sisters who live in de facto relationships. That is becoming increasingly more common. Uh, Sex sex education in school is all about protection. Uh, I I don't think I have ever heard it was suggested that you should abstain from sex when I was at school. Uh, back in the 80s. Uh, Society laughs at the suggestion that you might actually refrain from sex before marriage. And and sadly, our our society's view of sex has had some devastating effects. Uh, I think the newest form of addiction, which no one would have predicted, is actually to pornography. Uh, An unlimited supply of graphic images and videos is available on the internet and to be, it's over-consumed in the privacy of one's own home. Uh, it's increasingly violent and abusive in nature. Uh, Christian sexologist, uh, Dr Patricia Werakoon, who has written a lot of great stuff and helpful stuff for us, uh, says the ease of access and the lust created through viewing such pornographic material online rewires people's brains. It desensitises and damages your brain. It twists sexual intimacy so you no longer treat your partner with dignity. 
against sex is trivialised to be merely the personal satisfaction of your lustful desires and fantasies. Pornography is particularly a problem for, for men, uh, yet women can also be caught in what uh, Patricia Werrikoon calls the, the shame cycle. Friends, in our passage today, God presents a picture of the beauty of a married couple enjoying sexual intimacy without shame and without corruption. Uh, it, it is so far from the cheap, self-satisfying lust promoted by our society. And as we read of this relationship from God's greatest song of songs, we are reminded of how God views us. Our eyes are drawn to the beauty of his grace in Jesus Christ. We're encouraged to hold fast to, to God's marriage ideal as the gathering of, God, as, of Jesus Christ. We're to hold one another accountable to this ideal. We encourage one another to reject the world's perverted view of sex uh, and I'm particularly speaking to parents and grandparents and if you're a, a Bible study leader, for example, uh, we do encourage one another to re reject the perverted world's view of sex. And as we read this passage, we are, we are to delight in God's good gift to us and encourage one another to walk in it. So let us delve into this section, next section of the song. Uh, you might remember that key refrain that, that sort of is breaking up the book. Uh, it's actually in verse 5, just before our section today. Have a look at that. Uh, the refrain finishes the previous section, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Uh, that is a key idea flowing through this book. And in our passage today, we actually are told when the appropriate time is to awaken love. Uh, for we find ourselves at a, a wedding and we see, it begins as we see the groom approaches. Uh, listen to how the groom arrives at his wedding. Chapter 3, verse 6. Who is this coming from the wilderness like columns of smoke, smoke, scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant powder of the merchant? Look, Solomon's bed, surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty men of Israel. All of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his sword by his side to guard against the terror of the night. King Solomon made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold and its seat of purple. Its interior is inlaid with love by the young women of Jerusalem. So it's a, a, a picture of a great procession, uh, the entrance we expect for King Solomon. And, and it, he has an entourage with a splendid coach fit for a king. And, and there's 60 warriors lined up alongside as best men. Uh, Solomon's carriage approaches and the groom is prepared with all the fragrant, uh, amazing fragrances. Of course, such extravagance isn't um, foreign to our weddings these days, is it? You, you can spend so much money, get, you can be sunk into all sorts of aspects of the wedding day, the venue, the photographs, 
the meals and the celebration. Well, the bride and, and, and the bride and groom stand out in the crowd, don't they? They've they've put a bit of money into their the, you know the man man's wearing a cummerbum for the first time. Is that what they call them? Cummerbum. Cummerbum. First time he's ever worn one. He's looking splendid, and she's in her dressed as white. The focus is on them. The question is asked in verse six: Is who is this coming? In all this glory and honour, who is this groom? Uh, It appears to be King Solomon, doesn't it? Uh, However, I want to suggest that the Shunammite girl is actually picturing her shepherd boy like Solomon. Let me explain. Now, we know that songs and poems can have a lot of great linguistic flexibility. Uh, You might expect strange things to happen in a poem... By the end of this, this song, it turns out that the, shepherd, uh, the Shunammite girl is not actually interested in Solomon. She doesn't want to join his harem. She only has eyes for her shepherd boy. And, and we'll see it's actually the shepherd boy who speaks next uh, in, in this section. So I think the groom that we see looks like Solomon, yet this is the Shunammite girl's idealised picture of her, her groom, her shepherd boy. It's their wedding day and she pictures her, him to be like King Solomon in all his glory. Have a, have a look at verse 11 where it says, Go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon, wearing the crown his mother placed on him on the day of his wedding, the day of his heart's rejoicing. The women of Jerusalem are called to remember what King Solomon looked like on his wedding day. And we're called to acknowledge Solomon's rule. He has his crown. That's what we're told to remember on, his, on the day of his wedding. We expect Solomon to arrive in great splendour and, and glory at his wedding. But this day is not about Solomon. This is a song about the shepherd boy and his girl. So I think the girl is viewing shep- the shepherd boy on the day of their wedding like King Solomon. Uh, she considers her groom to be greater in splendour than Solomon in all his glory and might and rule. And, and I, we go on to see that the shepherd boy reciprocates his adoration uh, and he's just blown away by the beauty of his bride. He only has eyes for her and so likewise declares his love for her, for her beauty. Uh, so now the picture, we picture this girl as she is, say, walking down the aisle into her wedding. Listen to how he describes his bride, starting with... Uh, he sort of has this top-down approach. He starts with the eyes and works down and gets stuck at one particular point. <laughs> Listen to what happens. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Behind your veil, your eyes are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead. Uh, that's how you might imagine a shepherd to describe uh, his bride's hair. You know, he's, he knows how the goats flow down the mountain following the paths. Well, that's how he destri- describes her. And of course, her teeth remind him of uh, sheep racing through the uh, wash. Listen, how we go on, verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from washing, each one bearing twins, and none lost 
and none has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely. Behind your veil, your brow is like the slice of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, constructed in layers. A thousand shields are hung on it, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Her beauty is hidden behind the wedding veil. Yet he moves from adoring her eyes down to her face and down to her mouth. Her neck is like the Tower of David, strong and protected. I don't know what that one means, to be honest, but um, you can reflect on the metaphor there. And this shepherd boy is like all men. He's stimulated by the visual. He locks onto her breasts. Yet notice, this isn't lust. She isn't a temptation trying to seduce him. This is his bride who he adores. In fact, he tells us in verse 6 that he's waiting until the appropriate time. When is the time for this groom to awaken love? Until the, dawn, the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. He is waiting for the appropriate day, the wedding day that is described in terms of these fragrant spices. Until that time, he's just besotted with her beauty. Verse 7, You are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. Just as the girl considers her shepherd boy to look like Solomon in all his glory, this boy looks through the veil of his bride. He is just so overwhelmed by love for her and he doesn't notice any imperfections in her. He's, he's just blinded by love for her. And of course, I want to suggest at this point, as we looked at a few weeks ago and were reminded last week, such love reminds us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes how God views us in Romans 5. Paul says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At one time we were tainted by sin. We had acted like adulterers to, to God. We worship the things of this creation rather than our creator. Yet God looks at us and he loves us. He cares for us and he acts. Just as this girl and this boy look through each other's imperfections, so too God disregards our sins. Actually, he deals with it. He dies as our Christ on the cross to deal with our sin. So friends, remember the news about Jesus Christ. And this has always got to be our first landing point when we think about meaning and application when we read these Old Testament passages. Uh, you might like to reflect more on that a bit later. So we've seen the, the shepherd boy and his bride at their wedding. They've declared how they're captivated by one another's beauty and now it's the time for the declaration of wedding vows. Uh, the shepherd calls his bride to himself. He wants her to be united with him. 
Listen firstly to his call in verse 8. He says, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the peak of Amana, from the summit of Senir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of the leopards. The boy is calling her to leave distant places, from the peaks, from places of danger, and his desire is to be, for her to be with him. Come with me, he calls. And, and notice how he speaks of her as his bride. The groom asks his bride to come and be with him, to remain with him. And then he declares his love for his bride. He announces his utter devotion to her alone. Verse 9. You have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are. I don't know why, but the CSB keeps translating the word love as caresses. He actually says, how delightful your love is, my sister, my bride. Your love is much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Again, he's just completely besotted by her. In, in the opening verse of this song, if you want to uh, look at it later, chapter 1, verse 2, the girl declares her love for this boy being, uh, it's better than wine. And now here he is reciprocating. Her love, his love for her is better than wine. Her love is better than wine. He's intoxicated by her aroma, her speech and the, and the way she is dressed. He is just so deeply committed to her. And, now he, and then he goes on to acknowledge her sexual purity. In verses 12 to 15, that this garden language is used uh, and it reminds us of two things. It takes us in two directions. Firstly, we're reminded of the love and purity between Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we're reminded of that, un how they united, their one flesh relationship. They were naked and unashamed. And so this garden image reminds us of the purity of God's intended and God's intended purposes for sex and marriage. The garden metaphor, as it's used here, also reminds us of the fruitfulness of sexual intimacy. Sex between a, a man and a woman is... A, is um, Patricia Werrikoon, I think it was, talks about sex as like reuniting the bond that exists. Uh, between a man and a woman. Sex brings forth the fruit of new life and we, we celebrated that this morning when we heard the news about Jackie giving birth. Sex brings forth great joy and pleasure. So notice how the shepherd boy acknowledges and respects her purity, how she is not a, a awoken love uh, and her garden remains locked until now. See that in verse 12? My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden and a sealed spring. 
and, and verses 12 to thir- uh, 13 to 15 remind us of Eden, its fruitfulness, which, which again points us to that intimate, uh, unashamed sexual intimacy between Adam and Eve. The shepherd is just enamoured by her sexual purity. Her body is a fountain of life, verse 15. Yet he will not take advantage of her. He respects her. He will not lust after her or try to take advantage. She is pure, a locked garden, and no demand will grant him access. But she is able to respond to his request of sexual intimacy and she invites him to enjoy her. Verse 16, again, lovely language. Awaken, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Beautiful language. She feels protected and loved in her marriage relationship and so she is able to offer herself to him as if, it's, as if her body is his to enjoy. And so he responds in chapter 5 verse 1, accepting her vulnerability and offer for sexual intimacy. I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gather my myrrh with its spices. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. So really, if we've paid attention to this song, uh, he is actually bringing two different aspects of the, the two different... His differences and her differences are brought together here to, in this one flesh relationship. So he drinks deeply from her love. Uh, And again, it's a beautiful description of sex within the safety and boundary of a a marriage relationship. She considers her body, her garden to be his, and he brings his fruitfulness and joins it to her honeycomb and spices. This is the time to awaken love and enjoy it thoroughly. They have become one flesh, And so the crowd declares, eat friends, drink, be intoxicated with love. This, you're all a bit um, shell-shocked, I know. Take a breath. This part of God's word, uh, this, this song about love confirms God's ideal for human relationships. This is God's love song about our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We might have stuffed up our lives, uh, our relationships, especially sexually. God looks at that even when we were sinners and he reconciles us to himself. The love commitment between the shepherd and this bride is the good news about Jesus' death being proclaimed proclaimed to us in advance of the cross. Uh, And thinking through, how do we reflect more about that? How might we think through the nature of our relationship with God and how might we consider applying a passage like this? 
I was thinking maybe you might like to write a poem. But there are artistic types who can understand poetry and love it. If you love poetry, my suggestion this week is to, to write a poem which describes your love for God. Uh, I'll be interested to know what aspects of God's salvation in Jesus uh, remind you of the Tower of David or um, fawns dancing around the forest. Uh, but this is a beautiful poem and it's a great reminder of the peace and reconciliation we have with God through because of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King Jesus. Uh, but as God's people who walk every day in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, it is well worth reminding us, ourselves, how we must live, how we, how we walk while we wait for the return of, Jesus, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I have a flick, can you please flick over to 1 Thessalonians 4? This is the passage I think is helpful for us when thinking about uh, marriages and sexual intimacy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Does someone have a, Rochelle, do you have a page number? 1047, was it? In the church Bibles. This is a passage, which, uh, a passage which encourages us to consider the world in which we live in that has twisted God's good gift of sexual intimacy. Uh, Paul begins by stating his key idea in verse 3. Paul says, For this is God's will, your sanctification. That is Paul's big idea. What God wants, what he wills, what he desires is for you to be holy, for you to be transformed, to be changed like Jesus Christ. That, that's what sanctification is. It's God's work within us to make us sanctified, to make us holy. That's what God desires for us. And, and it, as we read on, how do we achieve that? How do we walk with God in being sanctified? He, uh, Paul goes on, that you keep, your, keep away from sexual immorality, that each, of you know, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. So there are really two options. Firstly, we might get caught up and swept along uh, by the sexual immorality of our society. Uh, we can get caught up in a turning a person's beauty into lust over them, desiring them, desiring what is not ours to have or take. That is the world that has taken God's good view of sex. That is sexual immorality. That's what Paul warns us against. Keep away from sexual immorality. And that's a fight we are going to constantly have as those who walk in faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the same-sex marriage debate was about and it is, continues to sweep through our society at the moment to be caught up in sexual immorality. We are warned not to, we are to keep away from it. God's preferred option is for you to control your own bodies in holiness and honour. Men, let us respect women as Christian sisters 
those who are saved in Christ. Let's honour them. And likewise, women, respect men as your brothers in Jesus. Uh, We're reminded from this song, not to awaken love until the dawning of your wedding day. And yes, in our society, that takes an awful lot of self-control. As predominantly grandparents and parents here, have you helped your children walk in such purity? Are you helping them walk in self-control? Um, there are two things that Rochelle and I have, uh, that we've done to try and assist our kids in these things. Uh, firstly, we encourage our kids to maintain a group of friends rather than seeking a boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, they are teenagers. They we don't think they need to awaken love at their age. So maintaining a large group of friendships, how we continue to encourage them and how they can be more self-controlled in in relationships. Secondly, uh, I've installed internet monitoring and accountability software on most of our computer devices. Uh, It's certainly on my computers, I pay for a program called Covenant Eyes uh, and there is also a free free, um, program called X3 Watch which you can search up on the internet. Uh, We want our children to know that the internet is a dangerous place and you you can stumble upon all sorts of sites and we don't want them to go there. So that software on our computers, uh, they know Oh, well, that allows us to keep a conversation open uh, if they ever get pinged with that. Uh, so I, I encourage you to think about such software um, if you're a parent. Such things are, are just steps in helping us to keep self-controlled, uh, not driven by our sinful passions. That is what God desires. Uh, so, and look at verse 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. God has given us something extremely important and lovely to treasure. The bond of sexual intimacy in a committed lifelong marriage relationship. Let's reject the world's corruption and immoral views and encourage one another to walk in the manner that God desires in marital faithfulness and holiness. Now I can imagine that there are a huge number of questions you might have about sex. Uh, You might recognise you've stuffed up. You might be addicted to pornography. Can I encourage you to use the connection card uh, and ask questions and one of the pastors, uh, well particularly if 9am here, uh, I'm happy to have conversations. Rochelle is happy to have conversations to help you talk through these things. Uh, Use the connection cards or send us a message. We would love to talk further with you about these things. We're going to begin a time of prayer now. Greg's going to come up. How about I begin? So let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your good gift of sexual intimacy for our marriages. We know the world has twisted your good gift and we too can stuff up what you have given us to bless us. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. 
Help us, Father, to live self-controlled and godly lives in this present age. Help us to wait patiently in wisdom, encouraging one another to flee sexual immorality while we wait for the glorious arrival of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.